Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. Hey, New City, this is Tyler here. I hope you're having a great time. We are going to have a pretty special podcast today. That's right, I am recording special for this podcast. Usually we just strip the audio from the live stream sermon. However, today's live stream went uh, a little sideways, and so we weren't able to get the same recording quality that we thought uh, you all deserve. So we are going to record this podcast separate. So strap in and here we go. So you'll remember that uh, if you were listening last week, that the book of Proverbs is all about um, conveying wisdom, teaching wisdom to people who are young, um, people who are early on in their formation. The book of Proverbs is kind of built to form people, young people, to be positive contributors to society. We are exploring the book of Proverbs for our sermon series called Swipe Up which is all about looking deeply into your life, into your love, into your leadership. And uh, today we're, we're looking at a really special proverb. But before you can really understand that, I think it's important to really emphasize that, again, Proverbs was written for the formation primarily of young people. And if you know anything about uh, cognitive development or pedagogy or those types of things, you know that um, young people tend to operate in black and white thinking. That's why we hear teenagers saying things like, everyone hates me. That sometimes it's um, developmentally difficult for young people to grasp certain types of nuance uh, because they're operating in black and white thinking. And this, I believe, is the reason why a lot of the Proverbs seem to be operating in black and white comparisons because they're trying to be developmentally appropriate, meeting people where they're at while still conveying a lot of wisdom. As you're reading through the book, book of Proverbs, which I definitely encourage you to, by the way, um, the book of Proverbs is a very accessible read, and uh, it would be very easy for you to do one chapter a week while we're in this Swipe Up series. And if you're reading the book of Proverbs, you'll see that there are two common types of structures, two common types of structures. So the first one is... Um, a does such and such, but Z does such and such. <laughs> and what I mean by that is the structure is trying to create a comparison that is put pinning opposites against each other. Like this kind of person does this, but this kind of person does this. And the key word for that you're looking for as you're reading Proverbs is that but conjunction that sets those two against each other. And the second type of common structures in Proverbs is... Um, kind of like a, a reiteration or re-emphasis of it. So it's like A does such and such, but A too does such and such. So <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll show you some examples, but it's one of the ways that they create um, uh, emphasis. It's one of the things that we see in Hebrew poetry. It's, it was also in the book of Psalms. If you see this kind of like, this does such and such, and then a synonym of that does a synonym of that. <laughs> You'll see what I mean. So uh, so let's look at this first common structure 
Um, this is Proverbs twenty twenty nine. It says, "The glory of youths is their strength, but the beauty of the aged is their gray hair." The glory of youths is their strength, but the beauty of the aged is their gray hair. By the way, if you're starting to get some gray hairs, that's just your glory highlights coming on in. <laughs> Don't even worry about it. Um, the so it's easy to see here, right? Like the glory of youths is their strength, but the beauty of the aged is their gray hair. So they're contrasting two kind of opposite poles of a spectrum for the sake of making a point. And so that's the kind of that first common structure. And then the second common structure is um, if we look at Proverbs sixteen twenty eight. it says, a perverse person spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends perverse person spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. And so here we see that perverse and whis- uh, perverse person and whisperer are actually set as parallels. Like it's like this kind of person does this and this kind of person. <laughs> you, do, do you see what I mean? Like they're, they're trying to repeat it for the sake of being memorable. And so we're seeing how these proverbs use kind of two different objects in comparison to each other, one of them to set them apart from each other, and one of them to compare them to each other. And today we're going to be focusing specifically on a proverb that goes through that first kind of structure. This is Proverbs 15.25, and it says, God will destroy the house of the proud, but, there's that but, God will establish the boundary of the widow. God will destroy the house of the proud, but God will establish the boundary of the widow. And so if we are to glean the wisdom from this text, if we are really going to be formed by this text, we have to be trying to understand the type of contrast that is being made here. And, uh, and, and I think that here, like essentially, we're looking at two activities of God, one being that God destroys the house of the proud, and one being that God establishes the house of the widow. And uh, this is what we're going to be diving into today. Now, if you look at um, the word destroy in this, uh, destroy the house of the proud, uh, sometimes it's helpful to look at where that Hebrew word occurs in the Old Testament for the word for destroy and see how it's translated differently in other instances, just to see kind of if there's like a tone or a um, implication of that verb that we might not be able to see otherwise. And when we do that, when we compare where the, the Hebrew word that gets translated in destroy is used in other parts of the Old Testament, we see that it in other parts it's translated as uproot, as in to yank at the very base of it, you know, to, to completely demolish any evidence of that existing, to remove its impact in something, to uproot God uproots the house of the proud here. And then, and then in comparison, when we look at the word for establish, establish the house of the widow, a lot of time, it's a very common verb. And it's um, in other areas of the Old Testament, it's translated as more like set up. Like if you are familiar with the character of Jacob, if you're not, don't worry about it. If you're familiar with the character of Jacob, he um, slept in the desert and he had a dream about a ladder being set up on earth and then angels were going up and down that ladder. That, that, that's the kind of like firm 
established foundation that we're talking about, setting up. Um, the other day, Brian, my partner, was uh, changing a light bulb in his aunt's house. And it's, it was one of those like vaulted ceiling houses. And the light bulb was very, very high up. And he, he had to go to the very top step of a ladder and reach all the way up to be able to screw that light bulb in. And I was there at the base. And you can bet that I was holding onto that ladder like... It was important because I didn't want my partner to fall off and, and get smash a light bulb into his face or whatever, <laughs> whatever would happen. So, so that's the kind of setting up that we're talking about, establishing, setting up. And if we look at um, the, the translation for what it means uh, when it says the house of the proud, um, you know, God is destroying, God is uprooting. But what exactly is God uprooting? Um, so, you know, uh, you might have hear, heard the, the convention of um, house of meaning or implying ancestry. So it's like the house of Abraham. Jesus comes from the house of David. We're not talking about like a physical structure here necessarily. We're talking about like a lineage, like generations. This is uh, the, the impact, the legacy of uh, of something is the house, and um, when we when we talk about the proud, <laughs> we're not just talking about. Um, actually, we're definitely not talking about how we might think of it today in terms of like going to the pride festival, where being proud is all about having confidence in yourself and in um, being happy with who you are. Like that's <laughs> kind of how we use proud nowadays. But proud here doesn't imply any type of like confidence in um, who God made you to be or your authentic self or anything like that. Here, here proud is more about people who mistakenly over-attribute uh, influence to their own power and control. The uh, Proud here is often used as a criticism of people who aren't giving God recognition for all of the good things in their lives. Uh, and for people who aren't practicing gratitude, for people who uh, believe that they have full control of their lives, when we know that that's not the case. Um, and so another way to translate this first part of the proverb is that God will uproot the legacy of people who rely on their privilege God will uproot the very memory and legacy of people who over-assert their own power in the world. But that's not the end of the proverb. Of course, there's the second part where it talks about God uh, is going to set up the, the or establish the boundaries of the widow. And, and what, is talking, what is being talked about here? So um, widows in a patriarchal society like the context in which the Old Testament was written would have been pretty vulnerable. Like if, if you didn't have any spouse and certainly if you didn't have any sons uh, on your property and you happen to be living in a place and then some like a band of uh, men came by or thieves or, uh, uh, you know, you would be in a pretty vulnerable spot. And, and one of the visions of, of a widow, one of the implications of a widow is a widow is someone who, um, uh, largely because of, uh, economic, uh, oppression and, and because of social oppression can't defend themselves. The widow um, can't necessarily defend themselves. And so, uh, what we, what we might be able to translate this is that God will set up the birthright, the the things that that a widow deserves, 
Uh, and we'll establish that for people who can't defend themselves. So all in all, we see this comparison that I think is beautiful, that God will uproot the legacy of people who rely on their privilege, but that God will set up the birthright of people who can't defend themselves. I think that is good news. Uh, you know, sometimes when we talk about the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, it's, that can be kind of a, a hard word to grasp for people who are new to the church. But all we're talking about is good news. And uh, this proverb for widows is good news because it means that when you look out into the world and you see you know, these ultra powerful people, these dominant people, these oppressive people, and it seems like they're the ones who are running the world, that there is actually a deeper wisdom embedded in reality, that God is active in a way that isn't necessarily immediately apparent, but is very real. And that is why it takes wisdom, it takes a certain type of spiritual knowing, a certain type of sensitivity to God's liberating love in the world to be able to see and perceive that God is liberating folks, even when it seems like the forces of domination are just going to remain in their throne forever. So there's some very good news in this. And, and of course, that good news applies to society and, and what this means economically. And I bet there's a lot of people at New City, maybe even you listening to this podcast right now, who can easily imagine the implications of this in terms of healthcare and immigration and housing, <laughs> like all of these things that, that um, necessarily fall under the, the premise that God is establishing the boundaries of the widow. I think that's really beautiful. And I think that people at New City come to New City because we're people who have a certain hunch that God is up to something good in society. And sometimes the people of New City have a easy time applying, you know, these messages of liberation to society and sometimes have a harder time uh, applying it to their own personal lives. It's good news, not just for social justice, like, like certainly for social justice, but it's also good news for you, for your own boundaries, even. Um, as some of you know, over this past week, I posted on social media, both on Circle, which is New City's social platform. I suggest you get your own free account of Circle, Circle. I posted it there, and I also posted on Facebook the following question. Why is it hard for you to say no, even when you know that you're supposed to say no? And how does that relate to your Enneagram type? Why is it hard for you to say no, even when you know you're supposed to say no? And how does that relate to your Enneagram type? And I got some really interesting answers. And just as a little bit of preface, we're going to get into the Enneagram a little deep for a second. If you're not familiar with the Enneagram, I'm going to try to use the titles of each of the types so that you can start getting kind of an idea of how this tool called the Enneagram that helps us to understand our deep motivations uh, is kind of illuminating this, which is to say that I think that the gospel <laughs> was there at the beginning of the cosmos and the Enneagram 
it's simply descriptive or helpful in giving language to something that it would otherwise remain mysterious to us or difficult to describe. So uh, I asked, why is it hard for you to say no, even when you know you're supposed to say no? How does that relate to your Enneagram type? And I heard, uh, you know, the reformers, the ones who are saying like, you know, Sometimes I just can't trust that people are going to do it right, and I know that I can do it right. And, and I've been burned in the past. Sometimes I've let people do it, and then they did it wrong. And I got it. I just got to take responsibility. Sometimes a reformer said, uh, you know, something has to be done, and no one is volunteering for it, and I know that it has to be done. And so I take responsibility upon myself. Uh, we heard helpers, uh, and actually, interestingly, uh, helpers and loyalists, so twos and sixes, say similar responses around, I'm, I'm scared that saying no to something is going to rupture a relationship, is going to somehow damage a relationship that I will rely on, either for affection and care or for literally my own safety. That a two and six energy has like a deep-seated fear in that type of um, disruption of, of saying no, of someone wanting something of you and then you counteracting that. Uh, we heard achievers say, if I say no, I've, I worry that I'm not going to excel and, and advance in my, you know, whether it be your career or the social club you're in or the social justice movement, there are achievers who are like, I'm trying to go places and I want people to revere me and see me as successful. And if I say no to this, then I'm sabotaging my own efforts to be seen as successful. We heard fours, the individualists talk about, um, when I, sometimes when I receive invitations, I feel like this is my chance to really dazzle, or this is my chance to rock it, like just really be uniquely, beautifully myself. I can do something gorgeous with this opportunity, and I know that I can do it in a way that no one else can. And so there's a certain like opportunity lost to it. We heard fives, the observers, talk about, um, I care about being seen as competent, and I want people you know, to know that I know my stuff. I've researched this stuff. I'm good at my job. And I want people to know that I am a reliable source of information and uh, capable of seeing things through in a systematic, intentional kind of way. Um, I talked about sixes. Uh, and then we heard enthusiasts, the sevens, talk about... <laughs> about um the responses i got from the sevens were like well it's just fun like <laughs> you know sometimes a lot of things sound fun and i want to say yes to things that are fun and so then i say yes to too many things that are fun and then i live in misery that is my life and i <laughs> i agree with that as a seven myself i would just add that sometimes um I don't really gauge things based off of capacity. I gauge things based off of the energy that I feel or the vibes that I feel. And uh, when I'm with someone, face-to-face with someone, talking about ideas which are very motivating for me and talking about, you know, what this could become... I say yes because I'm, I feel so much energy with them that it's like I could easily accomplish this task if I, based off of the energy that I have in my system right now. 
<laughs> the funny part, of course, being that once I leave that conversation and I have to actually do the thing, the energy available in my body is suddenly through the floor, just majorly drops. And so <laughs> part of saying yes to too many things is not being able to accurately forecast my energy when it comes time. We heard eight. Um, it's funny because uh, we heard half, like, some of the eights um, were like, uh, yeah, I, I, I do the job if I see that, like, things are spiraling out of control and we got to nail this down. Like, we got we to gotta get this right. Um, I got to take control. Um, or if it's, if it's a chance to kind of boss people around, if we heard people say. The other, op- the other response that only eights said, by the way, out of the 60-plus responses we got, only eights were the ones who said, um, I don't have a problem saying no, uh, and if I don't want to do it, then I'll let people know uh, they're out of luck. Then <laughs> I don't want to do it. <laughs> So, so we, so that's that's eight energy. Uh, bless the Lord, and then of course we have our peacemakers who intuitively know that when you say no to someone, that is a small form of conflict. And nines feel conflict so viscerally. It takes so much out of nines to engage conflict. They're very good at it, but it just takes so much out of them to engage conflict that sometimes all of their chips are already played and they (laughs) have to say like, I'm just going to say yes because I don't want to deal with the feelings and the conflict of what it would mean to say no. And so that's just a whirlwind tour of why some people have a hard time saying no. And I know what you're thinking, like, Tyler, how could one proverb possibly speak to nine completely separate uh, responses to, to this problem of boundaries? And the answer is that this is true in the Enneagram and also just true throughout the Bible, that at the base of a lot, of all of the personality types is a core fear. At the base of each Enneagram type, there's a core fear. If you want to talk with me about it, uh, feel free to reach out on the contact form on our website. I'm not going to go through all nine of them, but these are core fears that range everything from I fear being useless uh, to you know not being useful to people. I fear that I'm not safe. I fear that I'm going to be taken advantage of. I fear of being trapped in suffering. All of the adaptations that are represented in the Enneagram, whether it be to um, be perfectionistic or to make sure that you're uh, very secure and planning ahead, all of those adaptations are responsive to a core fear at the base of the personality. And the good news for our core fear is that God is a God who establishes the boundaries of the widow, which is to say that God is a God who meets the most defenseless, vulnerable parts of ourselves and says, I'm with you. I'm striving for your wholeness. I'm in your quarter, not for the sake of, uh, you know, prosperity, but for the sake of liberation. God is looking out over our whole lives, not just the successful parts, but also our fears, and saying, I am committed 
to all of creation being freed. And you are part of that. And no matter what fear you have in your life, it is never greater than God's love. No matter how perfectionistic and scared of messing up you are, no matter how much you feel like you need to be in control, otherwise you're freaked out what's going to happen otherwise, no matter how much you fear that people are going to rob energy from you, none of those fears are larger than the liberating love of God. And if that is true, then everything else about life changes. If God's love is greater than our fear, then all of the adaptations, all of the strategies, all of the avoiding and people-pleasing starts to change because the animal of our body begins to learn that we can trust in God's love more and more. To become wise is to be able to meet our deepest fears with the love of God and trust that the liberating love of God is at work in our lives, even when it's not visibly apparent. This is what it means to become wise, and this is what this parable is all about. However, as any of the audience, uh, the original audience of Proverbs probably could have told you, this stuff takes practice, y'all. <laughs> like, I, I've had powerful spiritual experiences of the love of God. I know a lot of folks who uh, have come to New City have had that, but no one experience is going to heal all of the fear that is embedded in your life. And so we must practice. We practice through prayer, offering our fears to God. We practice through worship, connecting to God in a loving circuit <laughs> that our love flows to God and, and God's love flows to us. We, we practice when we sign up for Life Together groups for this fall to be able to hold each other in community. We practice love, loving and we practice being loved for the sake of curing the fear that is in our lives. The fear, of course, is, is nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to blame or be spiteful of. The fear is doing its job. It's just looking out for us. What our job, what our soul's deepest longing <laughs> is to thank that fear, acknowledge that that fear is there for a reason, and to acknowledge that that fear is no longer necessary on an on a existential level because our soul is loved by God. Whom do we have to fear if God is a God who sets up the boundaries of a widow? If God can do it for the widows, then God can do it for us as well even in the midst of our deepest fears. This is truly what it means to set boundaries, and this is what it means to love God. My friends, may you be a little bit wiser this week. Amen.